This episode is brought to you by Affordable Drill Towers. Founded in 2016 by our good friend Steve Sanguidoce, a retired Houston, Texas firefighter, the Affordable Drill Tower was designed and built with functionality and versatility in mind for any training ground. As a standalone training tower and add-on to an existing burn building or connect setup, the Affordable Drill Tower packs a massive punch at an affordable price tag. With over 50 towers across the country, from Massachusetts to California, Montana to Texas, professionally engineered, NFPA and ISO compliant, the Affordable Drill Towers brings the versatility to your training ground. From Main Street USA, the small town fire company in their back parking lot, to the training grounds of the largest metropolitan fire academy, the Affordable Drill Tower fits the bill for price and functionality. Check them out at AffordableDrillTowers.com. And two things I like to talk about also when talking about our friends over at Affordable Drill Towers. One, their customized training program. They have the ability to bring some of the best talent from across the country to your home turf after the install of the Affordable Drill Tower. Designing a customized training program for you and your department, Steve will facilitate some of the biggest and brightest names of the American Fire Service to come in and work with you and your department. And secondly, and I think most important, is Steve's belief in need over greed. The affordable drill tower company gives back to not-for-profits that support organizations in the American Fire Service. Organizations such as the Joey D Foundation, which is near and dear to Steve Sanguidoche's heart, as well as many other not-for-profits that he takes a part of. He takes great pride in providing funding for organizations that push this job forward. So check them out. Steve and Dennis over at Affordable Drill Towers. Send them an email at info at affordabledrilltowers.com. Check them out on social media. And their YouTube page is kicking butt with great information, training nuggets, and information about their towers. So check them out, Affordable Drill Towers, and let them know Jeremy over at National Fire Radio sent you. This episode's brought to you by Ridgeway Leatherworks. Ridgeway Leatherworks is a firefighter-owned and operated business as well as a family-run business, and that's what I love about it. Rob and his family are passionate about their customer service and the quality product and craftsmanship they put out for the emergency services. Rob's been on the show. We've been to his his business. We've seen them in action. I've even tried to hand-paint radio straps. I promise you, it is not as easy as what the final outcome looks like. The product is so good, it's so clean and crisp, and yet, man, it takes that steady hand. Rob's become a near and dear friend of our podcast, and you hear that over and over when we talk about our sponsors, that they're friends, supporters, and that's what this networking community is all about, is supporting one another. Ridgeway Leatherworks, Rob Meyer, crushing it. Quality and craftsmanship is number one. Customer service is right there with it. From custom radio straps, universal radio holsters, chin straps, flashlight holders, anti-sway straps, and locker tags made out of leather, there's plenty of opportunity along the way when you deal with Ridgeway Leatherworks. So check them out at RidgewayLeatherworks.com. Find them on social media, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. And tell Rob you heard about him on the National Fire Radio platform and give them a little pluck and tell them keep up the good work we need to support our firefighter owned businesses and especially family run businesses where his two daughters and his wife help out day in and day out along with his other employees so again ridgeway leatherworks check them out at ridgewayleatherworks.com and find them on all your social media channels
Hey everyone, Jeremy National Fire Radio. Welcome back to the episode today. Today is going to be straight fire. And I mean that in a lot of different ways. But the guest today is retired Atlanta captain Danny Dwyer. You might know him as Danny Would Go. He became uh, thrusted into the national spotlight because of a, a, uh, a grab that he made back in June of 2019 under heavy fire conditions. We're going to get into that, but the intent of the conversation today with Captain Dwyer is talk about what came from it. And it's hard sometimes when in the fire service you go doing your everyday job, but the topic or the situation thrusts you into a national spotlight without your want or need or desire to be there. And Danny, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me today. I truly appreciate this. And I've just enjoyed my time already talking with you even before we hit the record button, man. Thanks for joining me. Thank you, Jeremy. I really appreciate the call, man. This is uh, this was, this should be a good one. I really uh, can't thank you enough for giving me the shot. 100%, man. And like, But your message is super strong. I've seen you talk elsewhere. I've read a lot of articles. Um, I've done some homework and so on. We have mutual friends. This is really the first time you and I have really had a good chance to really rap and, and you know learn who each other are. But I think you bring forth a, a tremendous message. And you know we were just chatting about a couple things before I hit the record button. And I'm like, all right, stop talking. We got to get going here because... There's so much <laughs> there's so much to talk about here. I don't want to dwell just on the fire, right? Uh, in in June of 2019, Good. you were assigned you were assigned to an engine company, I believe at the time, right? And you guys truck, actually that Oh, night. you were on we the, were truck on the truck that night. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So maybe just a little bit of background then instead of me painting a picture, maybe you could just paint the picture a little bit and then I just want to kind of dive into this whole uh after the fire and uh, and talk about you and your career. Okay, so uh, just a, a brief overview. I was covering a uh, ladder truck that night in northwest Atlanta. We were dispatched for a house fire just before 1 o'clock. Uh, while we were en route, we came back with uh, possible entrapment. Uh, engine company arrived first, had heavy fire out the Bravo Charlie corner on a uh, one-story brick on a basement. Nothing much to it at the time. Um, did have a confirmed entrapment after the captain did a 360. Uh, we were assigned interior search by the first arriving incident commander and then the first arriving battalion chief as well. Um, pushed in right behind the engine, made a quick search, found the victim about 15 feet inside the front door. Uh, unfortunately, due to some Fire conditions changing. She expired shortly after we pulled her out of the house. Um, and a couple days later, there was an after action that kind of uh, didn't go the way that any of us really anticipated it. And I was accused of freelancing. Uh, and obviously, everybody knows what that definition is. Yeah. Um, accused of freelancing. Uh, I had a disagreement in terms with the battalion chief on a very professional level. Um, and a few days after that, I was, uh, charged with, um, freelancing failure to, I think it was, a, I forget the exact charge, but basically not doing what I was told. Yeah. So that was June 28th of 19, uh, drug on into February of 20. The investigation did eventually I was given a 48 hour suspension, which I served. Uh, and shortly after coming back from the suspension, I decided to retire from the city of Atlanta. So I came off the books there in June of 2020. So 24 years in the fire service, 15 years with Atlanta, you retire, and now you're riding as a truck captain in the medium-sized city north of Atlanta. And so you're still riding yeah. the seat, and you're still going to fires. I am. I am. 
few so, more fires would be fun, but yeah. right now, yeah, it's, we're we're, make, we're taking it where we can get it. For sure. So I want to break this down a little bit because what I think is really interesting is you've been the hundreds of fires in your career, and I'm sure you've made or been involved with removing people from fire buildings in the past. You've been under heavy fire conditions. You've worked as a truck boss, working behind the line, in front of the line. I reviewed the video. We watched the people across the country because this this incident got thrusted into the national spotlight. And I want to talk about that because you weren't expecting it, didn't want it. I'm sure you didn't want it. And the fallout from it became almost like a, a it became a, a topic in the fire service between safety culture, you know, discipline and following SOGs versus doing the right thing and aggressive firefighting and search culture. And I think that there, there was a, a real divide that went down the middle. And I think that in the time of the fire service, when this situation happened, I think that really was what filled the bag enough that the bag popped, right? The bag ripped open. I think your incident brought light to a topic in the fire service about the safety culture versus aggressive firefighting. And I think that that's really the topic here that I want to dive into today with you. But watching that video, there's heavy fire. When I, when I see that video, you're already outside the building. It looks like you have the victim with you at the threshold. And I watched that line being pushed coming back out. So did that line go through right. that front door and then they're hitting fire behind them as they made the push in? Yeah, this is this is something that wasn't really hit on a lot in all of the uh, after actions, the interviews, the, any of the stuff that hit social media. So, um, and please understand, and, and I'm sure anybody that's listening to this that has got more than a cup of coffee on the job understands that the fire conditions that that video showed was post flashover. We yes. were there pre flashover. Right, right, right. Um, obviously, nobody, nobody's gear, and nobody is going to be able to push into that Correct. as it was shown right there. So, what had happened um, about <clears throat> there was about a fifty-one second time period from the time that uh, the rescue started from me going in the A side front door behind engine twenty-two. Um, it was about fifty-one seconds from front door to the victim and back out. On the way back out, uh, because of some um, door control issues, the the entire uh, living room of the house flashed. We had fire out the Bravo Charlie corner, so the left rear corner of the building on arrival. You know, it looked like a bedroom fire. Come to find out the kitchen was in that back corner. And so right. it was pushing out the eaves on the on the alpha side pretty, I mean, moderate. It was working. There's no doubt about that. But sure. we had smoke about ch chest high in the front door. Um, so conditions were great. We had about three and a half feet of good air. Um, I, as soon as I walked in, took a knee, wiped my face piece off, took a look with the tick. Uh, you know, I could still, all her furniture was intact, rugs, right. you know, right. furniture covers, uh, the whole nine yards. So it was a really good conditions initially. Um, the engine had pushed in in front of me with two members, a captain and a nozzleman. Um, I don't think because of the, what we now know is flow path. Um, I don't think they saw the fire issuing down the Bravo side of the house. So Got when it. they pushed in, they went straight down a hallway, took a left, and we're heading towards that back left corner. Um, I gave them a few feeds of slack um, and pushed. I was probably six to eight seconds behind them making entry. Got it. So when I took a look to the left, because the, the, the front door was towards the right side of the home, the right front side. When I took a, a, le a look towards the left, there was some fire rolling around a case opening. Come, come to find out later it was coming from the kitchen down the Bravo wall through the dining room and starting to curl around into the living room. It was Got headed it. back towards mm -hmm. the front door, of course. Right. Um, grabbed her, started making my way out. The building flashed. I, I mean, as a, uh, 
couldn't tell you how many flashover simulators I've been in teaching sure. and, and, and whatever. It was a flashover to me. I don't know that it'll ever be defined, but there was some sort of hostile fire event. Got it. I think we can all agree on that. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, during that, uh, nobody or the incident commander was unaware that the engine company was inside, even though there was radio traffic. We're pushing in with these guys. You know, they gave us truck 16. You're on primary search with engine 22. Um, somehow in the mix of everything happening, accountability seems to have been lost. Um, but when we got her into the front yard, uh, the first thing I did, I looked at my driver and I was like, where's engine 22? And he goes, what do you mean? I said, they're still inside the building. Yeah. And they, the stream that you saw coming through where it had vented through the roof and out the windows yeah. was them fighting their, fighting their way back, back out. out. Of the building. Yeah. And so I, the fire came know, around, the fire came around the B side. So they pushed to the rear of the home. The fire comes back around them as you exit. Right. Yeah. Cut them off. Okay. Got it. And it, I wish I could have sent you, and I'll send you the pictures, but it burned off probably about a 12-foot section of key combat hose. It burned the outer jacket completely off. Oh, no kidding. Um, The only reason those guys are still here today is the nozzleman did a fantastic job. He left that veil wide open, and he had a very, very seasoned uh, captain with him. Uh, It's probably one of the best firemen I've worked with. Yeah. And if it weren't for those, I mean, it, it just... They got. They were very lucky, yeah. and um, I'm very thankful that both of them are still here. The captain just recently retired. Um, he and I ran together for a number of years, a bunch of good fires together. They were at the engine company, a single house about two and a half miles from where I was assigned uh, at 16 at the time, and um, yeah, very lucky, very lucky. Yeah, the reason why I bring this up and the reason why I wanted to paint that picture, right, because anybody that can Google this after we're done talking, after they listen to this episode, they're going to look and, and – when you, when you think about all the, the discipline that we're going to talk about that came down and then life after that and so on, when you look at the fire conditions on that video, all you see is post-flashover. So you're thinking, did he right. actually belly in under, you know, those conditions to make – like, what was the situation? So I wanted to make it clear for the, for the listeners that might not be overly familiar is that you had workable space, livable space, survivable space oh, that, yeah. you, that you searched, made a grab, and exited the building with the victim because, you know – looking at the the very short video that's on YouTube and online, it paints a very different picture than what you and I just talked about. So that that's why I wanted to set the stage right. so people really understood what it looked like. So after all that, you do what you do every single day, right? And then you get penalized for that, right? It comes down to, you know, a career of fighting fire, you know, providing, you know, uh, services to the communities that you ride in, protecting your own brothers and sisters, and then you get jammed up because of something that you think you did right. And you did do mm-hmm. right. Tell me about that process a little bit. How did you, how do you compute that? Like, how do you break that down and go, man, this is the, is, am I wrong? Like, did you have any self doubt? Let's start there. Did you have any no. self doubt? Okay, good. Ne- never, never. And at the end of the day, this boils down to a cultural thing within the fire service yes. itself where, uh, you know, there's safety and and nobody wants to lose a guy. God forbid. I hope I never have to write that letter, make a phone call. Like I don't, you know, just, I just, I want you to come back with your fingers and toes and no scrapes and bruises. I I don't want to deal with that. But at the end of the day, we are all taught from day one to extend measured risk, you know, and I hate the whole risk management, you know, safety profiling and survivability profiling, but people lean on that too much. And, you know, there were some, I'm sure there was some negative stuff, uh, publicity put out there. I tried not to look at any of the comments on sure. Facebook and, you know, and I, I saw a few of them and it was all from guys that, you know, I, I could 
I don't care. <laughs> you yeah, know, no, but I get it. I get it. At, at the end of the day, like it, this was this was caused by some basically like, like we talked about before. I didn't take a knee and kiss the ring and say, you know, Chief, I'm sorry for what happened. Um, you know, he accused me of freelancing, and the way that I was brought up is. You know, if you're if you're given a vent assignment to go up to the roof and cut a hole and you decide to take it upon yourself and go interior for a search, that's freelancing. You know, when you give me an assignment to make an interior search with an engine company and I do that, that is not freelancing. Where they got upset about it is my two truck drivers. We we're on a uh, 102 foot tractor drawn aerial a tiller right. truck. So I've got a front end man and a, and a tillerman. And both those guys had to get dressed, get their tools and equipment. And when you only give me two people and I don't have a fourth person on the truck, um, our MO on every fire was, hey, guys, meet me on the A side. I'm going to go get us an assignment. Yep. That's what we did every night. That's what I told them that night. Um, and they did exactly that. They got dressed. And like I said, there was about, 50, you know, call it a minute in and out. Sure. Um, that was them coming up. The, you see the, the guys coming up the front steps to get her off the porch. That's them coming up to give me a hand. So they did exactly what they should have in the time allotted. Um, it just so happened that when I got in the front porch, the captain on the engine said, Danny, you're coming with me. We got to get a search. We got one trapped. I was like, Hey cap, no problem. I'm right behind you. And do I want a six month probie to break off from a line and start searching a house that's rocking? No. Um, but given my, where I feel comfortable and my skill set, my abilities at this point in my career, you know, taking a quick left and, and crawling 12 to 15 feet in a straight line was not an issue. Right. I didn't make four turns, go up a flight of stairs, get lost in some warehouse. We're talking about a thousand, 1100 square foot frame. Yep. Um, so that's where a lot of the brass, you know, when we had private conversations with some guys after and they're like, listen, we just don't want this to be a precedent to where these young guys can do or are thinking they can do this. And I'm like, well, you just tell them that they can't, that's not, you know, I don't know that I would have made that decision five years ago, I hope I'll make it in five more years, but I definitely don't think I would have done it with six months on the job, yeah. you know? So I understand their point, but at the end of the day, this got down to some hurt feelings. And because I didn't, I didn't agree and kiss the ring. I told the chief, I was like, listen, you know, we've been friends a long time. I respect you, but I respectfully disagree with this. Yeah. Um, it's not freelancing. And I think the nail in the coffin for me, I was like, look, if this happens again later tonight, I'm doing the same thing. If the conditions are the same, and, it, and a successful rescue can be attempted, then we got to give it a shot. You know, that woman was a pillar in her community. I think she was 93, um, had lived in the same house since the 60s. You know, was a, her church was within eye shot of the house. I mean, right across Caddy Corner to her home. And, you know, she, she'd been there forever. And so, you know, not to take anything away from any other citizen, whether they're, you know, uh, homeless or not or anything else but like these are this has been a, a lifelong taxpayer with the city of atlanta you give them everything that they deserve you give them your best shot on our best day and that was that you know unfortunately um she didn't make it but you know we you gotta you gotta but, give it where you can but you, know? you and, did and, you did everything you were supposed to do to provide that woman an opportunity to yeah. survive she has blind faith. Our residents, our, our residents, our people that rely on us every single day have a blind faith that firefighters are there to save and protect them. That's it. 
Right. And I and I right. think what's really important about this this story and and what you've gone through is the fact that you said that if it happened later that night, I'm going to do the same thing again. And I think that's super important because it speaks to, you know, it, like you said, you have experience, you have knowledge. You're a truck captain in a metropolitan city. You've been to a lot of fires. You know what you can and can't do. You know your limitations, right? And if you yep. can effectively put forth an effort to make a save or rescue on what they confirmed as an entrapment and you were able to do it with the conditions that were present. I good for you for not falling down on your beliefs and thinking that, you know, you did it. You didn't do it right. You did it exactly the way it should have been done. There's no doubt. I don't think anybody can argue with that. I think what it comes down to is it is, it's more of a feelings. It's more of a, you know, we can't set precedent, but you know what? I'm sure shit's like shit like that has happened many nights before in Atlanta. And and yeah. And, and, you know, unfortunately when you have, when you're down to minimum staffing, you got to do a lot with a little and it wasn't, you know, there was a lot of conversation during the civil service hearing where everything, everything, my suspension was overturned in June of this past year. Right. And um, cleared of any wrongdoing, whatever. I'm no longer there. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Two years um, later, three years later. Right. It's exactly. crazy. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they were like, well, you left two guys by themselves. I'm like, my tillerman had 28 years of a job. <laughs> yeah, come on. And the front end driver, my, my tractor guy had like 13 or 14 right. at the time. I right. didn't leave two. Cho- I didn't leave two children. I think my lawyer put it perfect. He goes, he didn't leave two nine year old kids at Six Flags. That's right. With their armbands on outside. You know, these are grown men and they were outside the building. Grown Is men that ideal? If, if they were in your position, no. they probably would have done the same damn thing. Yeah, no doubt. Yep. No doubt. And I and I get I spoke to a very close friend of mine that was riding on our shift commander car that night. And, you know, his whole thing was he's like, listen, you know, when we hear there's entrapment, I'm in route. And he's got the city accountability sheet taped to the glove box in his car. You know, he knows where everybody's at. And he goes, when I hear truck 16's interior, I'm assuming you're there with you and the two gentlemen that were assigned to the truck with you that night. And I was like, chief, I get it. I'm sorry. I, I, you know, I can't, you know, unfortunately there was, there was a very small window for a successful rescue That's and right. I felt that it needed to be jumped on, Yeah, you know, and we had done that. I, I mean, they're not going to like it, but it is what it is. <laughs> You do that every, when you got a three man truck. That's what happens. There's no black and I'm white the fire officer. department. Yeah, There's no black no, and white you, fire. You, we live in the gray. Got to go get an assignment. Go get an assignment and get it done. Yeah. You know, and start working, or at least, you know, uh, it is what it is. You know. So but, anyway, yeah, that was that. So you hit on it before because you you talked about you know uh, aggressive firefighting versus this safety culture and freelancing, quote unquote freelancing, right, and all of this. This topic, your your situation got thrusted into the headlines very quickly. Mm-hmm. There's no way you saw that coming. There's not no, at all. There's no was way. Was not prepared, still not prepared. Yeah. You know, every once in a while something flares up on, on social media. I'm like, God, just let it go. I mean, it got titled. <laughs> you know, just, it was crazy. It was, it was Danny would go, right? And then yeah. Danny would go became this mantra, this chant for aggressive firefighting for them, right? That whole topic of for them, yeah. which I don't even know where that came from because it's always been for them. So I don't know why we had a title, but now it's everything is for them, but it's always been for them, right? And I think right. that the struggle is for a lot of people in the fire service is starting to believe that this safety culture is starting to take away f- uh, from for them. And it's starting to shift the focus on safety and security other than putting ourselves out there to effectively perform rescue and, and and put ourselves in the line of danger for our citizens. 
And so I think that's where your situation hit right at that time. And Danny would go became this mantra across the fire service. I mean, people were putting stickers out there. Like it was crazy, right? Talk to me a little bit about that. I mean, you went home that after that shift or after that tour and you're, I'm sure you felt ridiculously conflicted. Right, like you well, know. it 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 wasn't really conflicted. It was just overwhelmed. Oh, okay, um, all right. You know, so I got uh, the night that that hit the local media and started to get uh, rolling on social media. The the union and I had made the decision to. Um, there were some reporters with the uh, Atlanta Journal Constitution, the paper here in the city, uh, some local news outlets that had caught wind of the incident. Were kind of waiting to hear what was going to happen. And it was decided to let them know that I was being suspended in the hopes that the fire chief would overturn the decision sure. before the ink was really dry sure. and reverse the suspension. Well, that doesn't happen with that organization. No, so, it doubled down. Um, exactly. Yeah. So I go back to the firehouse and I, you know, I didn't have anything to do with the phone calls that were made and we're sitting there eating dinner and the six o'clock news comes on and there's my face. And oh, I'm like, Oh God, boy. And the guys I'm working with are laughing. They're like, Oh, you are in for it. And, uh, you know, so we kind of giggled a little bit. And again, I was assigned to a really busy engine company at the time. And we were in and out multiple times the rest of the night. And uh, my wife uh, texted me, I think, about 11 o'clock. And she's usually in bed by 9, 930. And sure. she said, have you, have you been on Facebook? And I was like, no. She goes, you might want to get on there real quick. And I opened it up and I was like, oh, what happened? What have, yeah. we, what have we done? And uh, unfortunately, there's no putting the genie back in the bottle at that point. No. And social media did what it does. I have never, um, I didn't know what going viral was. <laughs> I had a friend of mine tell me that the next day. No, I think he said I was trending. I'm like, trending. I don't even know what you, I don't know what you mean. Oh, you know, and um, it, dude, it just took off. And um, I, I mean, I, it got to the point, I, I, I can't even, I, I, I don't wish that on anybody. Yeah. Um, was the outpouring of support fantastic? Absolutely. But the, and I, and I can't. It's going to sound terrible saying this. Like the messages, the Facebook messages, the Instagram messages were all awesome. But it was so overwhelming for sure. some. You know, I, everybody kind of laughed. They're like, "Oh, you're perfect for this." I'm like, "No, I like to talk to people. I got a bunch of friends, but I'm not built like I. I just this was never in my wheelhouse. We didn't know this was going to happen." Yeah. And then all of a sudden you got Fox news calling inside edition, calling local media calling. I'm like, here's my lawyer's number. Here's my union president's number. Here's it. You know, and just kept giving those phone numbers. I was like, I can't say anything. And, um, so yeah, the social media onslaught, um, was great in a sense. Um, I didn't realize that how bad the fire service needed it, I guess at that point. Well, that's Um, what I was going to ask you. Why do you think this happened? Dude, I don't know. I wish I had a good answer for you. I think it was kind of the us versus them. Yeah. You know, the rank and file guys versus the versus the newer generation of yeah. of commands. I, I don't know. I, I think really, you're right. Truly I don't I, know. I think you're right. Dude, it just got legs at a point where I you know, you slowly prior to twenty twenty, um, you had uh Cody Trestrail, Brothers in Battle, hell right. of a guy. Yep. They do conferences all over the West Coast. Um, County Fire Tactics down in Florida, the guys in Texas, there's there's these grassroots fire conferences popping up all over the United States. And they're taking it back to the fire service that I started in, where you put the citizens first. Of course, you don't, you know, this isn't, I'm not trying to get into a safety argument. No, 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 I get it. I get it. You put them first, you know, you put them first and you go do what you're supposed to do and stop, stop analyzing everything so much. Just go to work, fall back on your training, 
and go do what you're supposed to do. It's yes. not, they don't have to make it. It's not that difficult. And, um, I think it was kind of that. And for whatever reason, it may be cause COVID happened at the same time. I mean, this is like a week and a half before COVID hits Yeah. and then everything's on lockdown and everybody's on social media. So it just got, I mean, absolutely ridiculous. And again, I can't, the, the support was great. I just didn't, I, my wife turned all my notifications off, logged me out of Facebook, logged me out of Instagram for like three weeks. I was, she's like, just stay off of it. Don't look at it. But then I'm still, I'm dealing with lawyers. I'm dealing with the union president and suspension this and civil service hearings. And it was just a lot to over, you know, to, to take in, um, why it happened. I don't know. I truly, it is, you know, there's, I, I can rack my brain around it. I, I, I don't know. There's no way to prepare for it, right? I mean, you went no, from, no. you went from a truck captain riding the fires that night, you know, running out the door 20 times at 24, right? Like you're, you're going in a busy truck to the next mm-hmm. day. I mean, your face and actions are being thrusted across the national media, not just social media, national media. Like it's on the biggest yeah. channels, the news channels, right? You didn't ask for any of this. And not only yeah. that, but you were just doing, and, and I know how you are. You were just doing your job. Right. And I didn't do, it's so cliche, but I literally didn't do anything. I hope anybody that's listening to this, you know, there are there a lot of guys at different organizations across the country that wouldn't? Sure. But I hope that all of us that are in this for the right reasons, the guys that are trying to better themselves by listening to your podcast, other podcasts, going to classes, would do the same thing. It was nothing extraordinary. I just somehow or another, for whoever, higher power, whatever, decided that this was going to be the, the incident, and it exploded. Yeah. And, and, you but- know, and I still I see the stickers now, and the stickers, the guy that made the stickers, he donated an unbelievable amount of money to Metro Atlanta Association of Firefighters Conference. Awesome. Um which was great, but if I see another one of the stickers anytime <laughs> in the near future, it drives me nuts. I, you know, and I appreciate it, I, I get, bet. but I'm like, man, it was, it was, it was nothing. It, it, you know, the biggest thing at the end of the day is, you know, this this poor woman lost her life. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, she's got family in the fire service in Georgia, so there's that connection, and it just every time it kept getting rehashed. That's a, you're picking a scab. Yeah. You so, know, and unfortunately, the organization, the city of Atlanta Fire Department took a beating in social media well, and sure. they didn't deserve that. Yeah. You know, there's right. guys there. There there were three people that, that I think deserve that. And unfortunately, there are a lot of guys there, I'm sure, that I am friends with, was friends with, whatever, that probably disagree. I, well, I know a couple of them disagree with what happened and thought that there was a, you know, motives behind it or whatever. And that's fine. You know, I'm not, we've had our discussions and everything's cool, but you know, the organization took a beating and I hate that because there are people there currently, there are people in recruit school currently that don't know me, that don't know anything about that fire that are just excited to be there. Like I was when I went there and that's, I didn't want, I don't want anything else. You know, the city, this people made a bad choice. Uh, a couple people dug in their heels, but yeah. the, the rank and file, 99% of them would do it again. They do the same thing, and they didn't. This was not their cross to bear, unfortunately, and they, and they kind of got drugged through the mud. And I, I wish that hadn't happened. Yeah, I, I thought something really interesting, too, that you said before, too, is doing the right thing is doing the right thing. And, you know, you said there was a moment where you probably could have made this all go away. You know, it could have mm-hmm. been a slap on the wrist to move on, but. You weren't willing to allow uh, yourself to 
put yourself in a position to not be who you are and true to yourself, right? Like, how do right. we, uh, right? You said, how do we always tell them to do the right thing if you don't do the right thing? Or how, right. you know, if you sacrifice your values up front, what does that mean for the next guy in line? Will he be expected to do the same, right? And I think right. that that's a very powerful conversation. It speaks to your character, though. This episode's brought to you by Taylor's Tins. Taylor and his crew at Taylor's Tins have been manufacturing aluminum helmet fronts since 2017. With over 200,000 tins in the market, they are a leader in the helmet front space. Custom design, one-offs to department orders. They can turn them around within 24 to 48 hours. Customer service is what they pride themselves on, and they provide nothing but top-shelf product and service to their customers. Check them out at taylorstins.com and check out their full line of product offering. They've always been a very strong supporter since day one with the National Fire Radio podcast and platform, and Taylor and his crew have become dear friends of ours, and we appreciate the support. And at checkout... For a little extra bonus, use coupon code NFR sent me. That's NFR sent me for a discount on your order. Exclusions do apply. Anyway, check out taylorstins.com for the latest and greatest offerings from Taylor and his crew. And in the words of Taylor, stop burning up leather. This episode is brought to you by the Affordable Standpipe Prop. Let's break it down real quick. Steve and the crew at Affordable Drill Towers is doing it again. They've created this fully custom and fabricated standpipe prop to support the fire service. I'm telling you right now, this is a game-changing piece of training equipment. And I want to hop into it real quick. It is designed with a 4-inch manifold of high-strength galvanized Schedule 10 pipe. The cart manifold are powder-coated red for a durable finish, meaning it's not just a talking piece. It's not something you tuck away on the shelf. This is a training prop that can be wheeled into the classroom and then brought out onto the training ground. And so let's talk about that. In the classroom, there's nothing better than having a hands-on prop in front of the students, in front of the fire companies that are there to learn about standpipe and FBC connections. Having that prop in the classroom allows for a great instructional lecture. And then from there, take the standpipe theory and translate it to the training grounds. You could wheel the cart out that's on casters. You wheel it out into the parking lot. And that same training prop that you just used hands-on in the classroom can now be used hands-on on the training ground by pumping into it and flowing out of it. It offers such versatility in its approach. It has a two and a half inch Siamese connection, seven two and a half inch outlets, six of which are standpipe valves, has a water motor gong, sprinkler head with a control valve, and a system pressure gauge. You can also upgrade and put three of the most common field adjustable PRVs. I'm telling you right now, this is a game-changing training prop that needs to be in every fire company or training department across the country. Reach out to Steve and the crew, info at AffordableDrillTowers.com. Ask for a demo, ask for information, or check them out on social media and YouTube. There's plenty of content out there that shows you exactly what the affordable standpipe prop can do for you. And I'm just curious, you know, here we are almost three years later from all of, or almost four years later now from that fire. You retired in 2020. You have time to kind of reflect. The The dust has settled. You've been vindicated on the civil service panel, right, that they found you, they yeah. overturned uh, that, which is some vindication for you, you know, in, at least in, in the legality side of it, right? 
mm-hmm. and you're and it doesn't tarnish your career as as badly because this has happened. It kind of vindicated you that you did what what you were expected and supposed to do. But the dust has settled now. What does it look like for you? Like, what did this do to you in your fire service journey? I mean, you you love the job. You still love the job. We were talking about it before, and we're going to get to where you are today. But it had to be a very bumpy road for you. It was. Um, honestly, I, I had a conversation uh, with my wife, you know, ran some numbers. I'm like, can I step away from this completely at this point? Like I kind of, you know, uh, I had been, I guess it's probably 2014. Um, I think the slowest engine I've been on at that point was about 3,800 runs a year, right? When I got promoted lieutenant, I uh, went back to close to 5,000 engine, another 5,000 engine, and then close to another one as a captain. You know, I was exhausted. I had a little girl. She's sure. now five. She's, nice. you know, she was a year and a half, two years old at the time. And, you know, all she wants to do and doesn't care, daddy's tired on a Saturday morning. That's right. You know, and, it, and that was, that was beating me down a little bit. And, you know, part of me, I, I've had this conversation several different times in the last couple of years, but like everybody I know, like these guys raised four, five, six kids on the job doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. And, there, and I remember my buddy's like, we all had kids. We all had newborns at home. Get up, you know, you know get up your ass kind of thing. But yeah. could they have done Could they have done it better? Would they change it if they could go back and do it again to be a little bit better rested? And that's kind of where that's when I started wrapping all that into, into, into it, um, I had an opportunity to take a job at another department that I needed some time to think about. Yeah. And so I had to get, I had a torn ligament in my elbow. I got fixed. I had to have six weeks off for that. So I burned some sick leave, got my elbow fixed, did some uh, reflecting. I was home with my family. My wife was out of school because of COVID. My daughter's home. So like literally spent six weeks with them every day in the spring of 20, trying to figure out what I was going to do. And when, you know, everything kept pointing to take this other position. Sure. And, you know, I never wanted my career to end in Atlanta the way that it did, Um, you know, uh, for personal reasons, financial reasons. And I love the city. I love being I love being a fireman downtown. That was that's still who I am. I I loved it. I wouldn't trade. If you would have told me the day that I started in the fire service that my my path was going to go this way. Yeah, I'd do it again in a heartbeat. All of it, you know. Are there some changes I would have made? 100%. But for overall, I would take 99% of it over again. Um, and so it took, yeah, it took a little bit of thinking and some time. When it came down to it, you know, um, if I was single and didn't have a family to support and the selfish me would have wrote it out and yeah. I probably, you know, it took two years to get it overturned. So I would have had to deal with that, the financial implications from that. Sure. But, if it, if it wasn't for my family, I probably would have stuck it out. Um, but I had a really good opportunity. I told you a little bit ago, a friend of mine basically threw me a life ring that I didn't know I needed. He was like, come on up here, rest. Let us, t- you know, you deserve to be taken care of. You, you've proved your point. You've done your time downtown. Come, come take it easy. And that was the decision that was made um, at a family level, professional level. It, you know, it yeah, is what it I is. get it. I get it. But yeah. it had to happen. It was, it just got to that point where it was, it was time. Yeah. And I don't regret that one either. You know, I, I did for a long time. Um, like, man, did I make the right decision? Should I stuck it out? And it's just, you know, when you really sit down and start looking at the brass tacks of it and, and weighing the pros and cons, it was, it was far and away the, the decision that needed to be made. Yeah. Do you feel that, do you feel that leading up to you finding that soul searching of being home for those six weeks while you're fixing your elbow 
and spending time with your kids and so on, did you have or do you have any resentment or did you feel that the system failed you in the department that you truly loved and you gave so much to? It wasn't. It Honestly, it wasn't. Uh, yeah, I, I shouldn't say not then. The biggest problem I had was immediately in the shifts immediately following the fire. Yeah. So um, obviously tragic incident. Um, you know, that call, I think she was the seventh rescue. I had some sort of hands on, mm. uh, in my career. Wow. One of them walked out of the hospital. I mean, it is what it is. Yeah. They're not frequent, you know, right, right. um, why that one bothered me. I don't know. There's a, a handful of circumstances that I won't get into that maybe contributed to that. Right. Um, but I was not in a good headspace yeah. for a couple of weeks after that. And, um, in the midst of it, uh, I was in contact with our, um, EAP employee assistance program with a psychologist downtown mm -hmm. and already had a good relationship with her, you know, was talking, you know, obviously they come out anytime there's a fire fatality and, you know, so going through that whole thing. And I spoke to her one day and I think it was my second or third shift back. And she's like, why are you at work? I was like, I don't, what do you mean? And she goes, well, we gave the guys from engine 22, we gave them 72 hours off like decompression time. And I'm like, okay. And she's like, let me work on this. I'll this is nine o'clock in the morning, yeah. beginning of the shift. Right. I finally, I think I left to go home about eight o'clock that night. Mm. And, um, my three shifts off to quote decompress. Um, I was getting phone calls every day yeah, saying you I couldn't. was being reassigned, reassigned pending a fit for duty test. Yikes. Then I was going to be put on, um, I was being charged sick leave and not, you know, administrative leave with pay. Then I was going to be reassigned to training pending a, a medical evaluation. I mean, every day I was getting phone calls from one chief or another chief saying, right. Hey, don't shoot the, don't shoot the messenger. Don't, yeah. Here's yeah. what we're being told. And I'll be honest with you. It wasn't anybody's fault. There was no policy for this. Mm, they didn't know what to do. The okay. fire chief, the fire chief was out of town. His first deputy was in charge and it, it, I equate it to this. Anytime there's a police officer involved shooting, what happens? They're on they're on desk duty for a couple of days That's pending right. an investigation, cool off time, whatever you want to call it. It's no different. Now, why they had such a huge deal? They're like, well, we're going to dock you 72 hours sick leave. Well, I'm sure you're aware it takes like nine months to build up 72 hours yeah. sick leave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so I'm like, so I was more disappointed when I went back to work. We had our time off. We had to, uh, myself and the two members from the engine had to go meet with the fire chief and the ops deputy and have just a little powwow, a two hour meeting before they release us back to work. And I was like, listen, I just don't want this to happen again. Like you're supposed to give me time off to decompress, but every day I'm being told I'm being reassigned. I'm going to have to do a fit for duty. Like y'all were harassing me every single day with different pay stuff. And, you know, again, and, and the fire chief was for all of his shortcomings with this whole thing. He's like, Lou, I'm really sorry. You know, we didn't know how to handle this. We didn't, you know, and I'm like, listen, I'm not a policy writing guy, but if you'll give me the tools and the time and tell me what you want, yeah. I'll write the policy. I don't want this to happen to somebody else. Yep. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to get on that. Of course, never heard anything. And I'd sure. be shocked if they ever put a policy in place. So that was more of a letdown than anything else was just like how they handled it in the two weeks post incident. Yeah. Um, you know, there was another huge... Go ahead. No, I was just going to ask, did you notice a change in your demeanor, in your attitude, yeah. in your in your approach to the guys in the firehouse, to your family? Like, I mean, there, I can't even imagine what's going through your head through all of this, right? Especially when you're sticking to your guns and saying, I didn't do anything wrong. I would do this again. 
And then, you know, now there's struggles, right? Because, like, now yeah. they're they, – so maybe uh, just talk to me a little bit about that. When did you recognize or did, did your wonderful wife go, hey, Danny, you're not yourself? No, she didn't uh, – she never really had that – I don't think we had that conversation. Yeah. But, no, I saw it. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I've made mention of it before, but um, I think it was my first night off uh, after the fight, I don't ever watch the local news. I haven't watched it in years. It's right. just, it's just a disaster no matter where you are. It sure is. Um, and I just so happened to turn on the news or we were turning something off that my daughter had on and five o'clock news. And there's her picture plastered all over the news. Oh, like, Jesus Christ, God. you know? And it's yeah. like, again, nobody's fault, you know, but it's like, okay, now there's a face with it. It wasn't, unfortunately, you know, when you pull a couple homeless people out of a building that nobody really knows at the time, that doesn't make the news. The pictures don't make the news. Right. There's this, great grandmother with her face and her church photos and this and that. And it was, it, it was a kick in the gut. Um, again, it wasn't, wasn't anything we did, um, but it still didn't make things any easier. And about two o'clock that morning, I sat straight up in bed and heard smoke alarms going off in my house and thought my house was on fire Oh my god! and went into full freaking panic mode. And, um, I was talking to my best friend who's a captain downtown. I'm like, look, man, I was like, I don't know what PTS is, PTSD is, but right. something's going on in my head that I don't have any control over. And I wasn't, I wasn't sitting there with like suicidal ideations by any stretch of the imagination, right. but I, I couldn't shake that picture out of my head wow. and the picture of her on the news sure. and then how I found her or left her. Yeah. Um, still bothers me to this day. I've learned to work around it, yeah. but I understand why people get to the point where they're sitting there with a gun in their mouth or, or thinking about it because you can't, sometimes you just can't yeah. get things out of your head and it, and it scared the shit out of me. I, I mean, it's, it really scared me. And that was part of the reason I think of me also stepping away from the city was to kind of remove that stressor from my life and just, and just, just be done. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. So that, that whole thing was pretty tough. Um, You know, she was really, my wife was great. You know, she was there with me the whole time and just, you know, she deserves a lot of this credit too. I don't know what it's like to have to deal with a husband that does this, you know, you're gone for 24 hours, you come home shot out, then you go through this whole thing and, you know, she's been through a couple of different things with me with Atlanta, sure. just the stress. And, the, mm-hmm. and, you know, there's a lot on the back end that they don't get any credit for. But sure. she, um, you know, it's uh, it was a rough couple of weeks. Um, uh, you know, we talked we spoke about James Gearing earlier, does another yeah. fire department right. podcast. A friend mm-hmm. of mine introduced me to his. Absolutely. And dude, that dude, that guy pulled me out of a hole. I, I, honestly, wow. like I started listening to a lot of different podcasts and just kind of went down a rabbit hole. And it, and it led me to a lot of, you know education and learning about sleep deprivation sure. and PTS and fire service. And I never, dude, I would never got a lot of buddies that are in the military, a couple of guys that were in special operations. I would never put what we do as a fire service into the same bucket that they do of what they did uh, in global war on terrorism and everything else. But I learned that it's not what you did or what caused the trauma. It's just how your body, how each individual person processed. That's right. And for whatever reason, you know, um, I, I thought I was doing something cool and kind of coined the phrase, but I'm sure somebody else did, but it's like, you get a cup of coffee that's a little too full and mine spill. Yeah. And now you got to clean up the spill, which I'm, you know, is, is a daily thing still, but you know, you work through it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I thank you first off for sharing that because I think that that little bit of insight into what you were personally dealing with can certainly, uh, you know, touch, uh, people that are listening. 
And uh, because I'm sure there are people that are going through some very similar struggles or have and to find their way and for you to, uh, uh, you know, face it, talk about it and, and find your way out of it, I think is uh, is very powerful. So thank you for sharing that part of it. When yeah. when you're home for those weeks with your family, you decide to move on from Atlanta. I'm sure, like you said, man, you were in 15 years. You still had 10 years to go with the city of Atlanta, but you made that choice and you put yourself and your family first. Um, that had to be, I'm, I'm sure, you know, in retrospect, it was the right decision. But at the time, I'm sure that was a, a struggle of, of your own. Yeah, it's still. Uh, it's still. <laughs> yeah, it, it was. It's, you know, I'm still like, damn it. Yeah, I get it. Uh, I get it. But with that, though, did it give you did it give you some of that mental healing that you needed, some of that downtime, some of that refocusing, maybe prioritizing different things in life? Talk to me a little bit about that transition. Dude, it was it was wild. I went down to uh, my last assignment, cooked the guy's steak dinner. You know, anytime you retire, you cook the guy's steaks, right? Even though I was retiring very young, and very early, I still owed it to him. And a good friend of mine. uh uh, Justin and I worked, God, pretty much our whole careers together. Uh, same station, different shifts, bunch of fires together on swaps over time. He's still a very good friend of mine. He was covering the engine for me as a lieutenant while I was gone, while I was on sick leave with my elbow. So the, my last shift, I go down and I'm like cleaning my locker out with a smile on my face. Wow. And I never thought, you know, until you asked me this a minute ago, I remember, and he's just sitting there with this like blank stare. Yeah. Like, I don't think anybody, either one of us ever knew that we were going to leave early. Mm-hmm. And he's second generation Atlanta fireman, hell of a guy. And, um, you know, we're all sitting there and he's like, I was like, here, man, here's, here's an extra polo shirt. Here's, here's a sweatshirt, you know, giving away stuff. Cause I'm like, I don't, I don't need it. I don't <laughs> yep. want it. Yeah. And it was like the biggest like weight off my back yeah. to just not have to deal with and it, maybe you know a lot of people are like well you know maybe you took the easy way out maybe i did i don't know but it was it was right for me and just being out of there and knowing that i did not have to get back on an engine downtown and be scrutinized again for anything was a very big relief yeah. for me personally on a stress level um you know but the funny thing is on the flip side of that for the next several weeks i'm like damn did i make the right decision of course you know as soon as this happens as soon as this happened all the riots kicked off downtown oh yeah uh, my my buddy was one of the fire trucks that was all over the news getting bricks thrown yeah. through the windshield you yeah. know where I, you know where i wanted to be right right there, there with him yeah i get it you know but you know so it's like all these things happen for a reason um you know but yeah it was um the reflection was good. It needed to happen. And then when I got up to the next apartment, um, it was a huge dude. I, I, I told everybody, I was like, you laugh. I'm, it's going to take me two years to get caught up on sleep. And it really did. Like I woke up there back in April and I'm like, ah, wow. where like, I felt like I was a, a bear coming out of a cave. Yeah. You know, it just, it's, it's, you get, you just get so shot on, on little to no sleep. And it just a cumulative effect is just really, really bad for your, you know, your uh, decision-making processes, your attitude, your Relationships, body recovery. It just, all of it. Yeah, it's just a, it's a mess. It's a mess. Yeah, so. well, I mean, but you're taking care of yourself. I mean, you've, you've focused, yeah. you know, where, where you spend so much time focusing on everyone else, we neglect ourselves, right? And then over time, when something happens like this, when you kind of circle your wagons and pull in to the middle, you start to reflect on yourself and you realize that you need some self-care as well. And so... 
you know, and I could only imagine what the, you know, every time you hear those guys go to a fire, I'm sure your blood pressure goes up a little bit. There's no doubt. But Oh, dude, I still, I still listen to them. Of if course. I know everything's going on downtown, I of jump course. on Broadcastify and I'm buffing it. Absolutely. <laughs> no, no. I, I get it. But you can't take that out of you, right? Like guys that no. love this job, love the job. And it's nice to see that you still love the job. My concern was, and what I, what I prompted you earlier about was, you know, did you fall out of love with the job? Did you, did you have, when you were going through some of your struggles and healing from all of this, did the job change for you? You know, because I'm not going to say, yeah, I'm not going to say that I was, I was chipper, ready to go every single day that sure. I came into work. You know, did I come in a few times and um, after what, 22 years on the job and I'm setting my boots and coat on the floor in the back seat? Did I not go, man, what did I make the right call? Yeah. You know, and thankfully I will say this, the fire chief that, um, that brought me up there and the company officers that I had while I was assigned there kept me there. If it had been anywhere else with any other combination of people, I probably, I probably wouldn't be here talking to you right now. I might be out of the job completely, but mm. if it hadn't have been, the timing was right. The officers were right. The fire chief was right. Like I had, it was, I'm telling you, yeah. it, was, it was a life, it was a life ring. And I, you know, I, thankfully I was able to go up there and reset. There was no, um, and, and again, the, the, I should mention too, that I'd worked for this organization about 10 years ago, part-time for about five years. Right. So I knew the guys up there. It wasn't, you know, it was like, kind of like going to your grandma's house for, for the summer. <laughs> you know, I knew yeah. the guys really well. It wasn't home, but it was, it was going to be home. Like, and it, and I got comfortable there and I, I truly dude, I didn't, didn't, I never intended on leaving and it just kind of, you know, circumstances, things happen. You know, my career's taken a bunch of different turns. Um, I saw some of the guys I originally got hired with when I was 19 years old a couple of weeks ago. They're like, are you going to stick around at one place for a little while? I'm like, hey, man, <laughs> like I would love to go back and not have had this happen. But, yeah. you know, you got to you got to stick and move and, um, you know, uh, you know, adjust as necessary. And that's kind of what I had to do. You know, I had to make decisions for myself and my family and, uh, you know, just what well, you mentioned. Got to keep your feet moving, I guess. Yeah. You mentioned a word to me earlier that sticks out in the last 20 minutes of this podcast. It's all about resiliency, right? You, you mentioned the word resiliency and, and how that word resonates with you. Um, and, you know, we we don't know. We never know how life is going to play out for us, right? Uh, you wake mm -hmm. up the next day and, and something happens and, it, and, and like you, it thrusts you into a situation, a national spotlight, dealing with all the nonsense that comes with that. Your career is now drastically different than what you thought it was going to look like 22 years ago or, tw you know, 15 years ago, whatever it was. Like, things change, but... I think it's fun because it's one chapter after another and you get to write the rules in a way, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think about it like that, but yeah. you're right. You so know, talk to uh, me. So talk to me about where you are today with the job. I mean, are, are you, are you in the same position? You might not be going out the door 20, 25 times a tour, but thank I mean, God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I've uh, we, we affectionately joke, but I have no problem. I have entered full gummy bear status a couple of years ago. Gummy bear status, um, it, I love that. Man, yeah. I'm telling you, I'm like the soft gummy bear you find in your kid's pants pocket. Like That's I'm not hilarious. even like a, a fresh gummy bear. But no, all jokes aside, man. It, yeah. Um, I, if I was running out the door like I was my last couple of assignments down, I'd be sucking my thumb in a corner somewhere. Like I just, my it's. That time has passed. I'm glad I got to experience it, sure. but it's really bad for you. And my family likes it a lot better the way that I am now. Yeah. Um, all that said, uh, back middle of summer, um, there it was a uh, department that I ran with um, 
at my last job, a uh, city department that was transitioning from a part-time model to a full-time model. Um, and seven firehouses currently, we're going to start on number eight here pretty soon. Nice. But they uh, were hiring it to start the full-time process. They hired in 21 captains. Um, I think I heard somewhere in the neighborhood of 150 applicants. And um, they picked up. I, I ran through the hoops. And um, a very uh, close friend of mine and mentor was one of my captains downtown. as a battalion chief up there. Uh, currently, he retired from the city of Atlanta with 30 years and went up to uh, this department as a Got PC. Uh, knew a couple other guys on the command staff there, had known them for years. Um, we never worked together, but just taking classes. And, and you know, the metro area is huge, but sure. it's still very small yeah, on, the, on the scale of fire departments. And, um, you know, initially when I spoke to my old boss, I'm like, what do you think? You know, is there going to be any negative effect of what happened in Atlanta? Because if, it, if it's going to be a detriment, I'm not going to waste their time. I'm not going to waste my time. I don't want to get my hopes up. That's goes, right. I think you're going to be good. So, um, Man, I jumped through the hoops, application, physical agility test, interview, interview, and um, I'm very proud to say that I was selected for the position Yeah, uh, with another 20 guys. Nice. And um, so we went, uh, we came to the field in December, I think the 12th. And uh, so we are the starting of this uh, rather good-sized organization going uh, full-time. So we're going to cool. try and pick up uh, – some more personnel towards the end of the year. And I think the whole, uh, the city wants it full tilt boogie by 2027. Wow. So it's going to be a pretty monumental undertake. It's going to be a, a lot of, a lot of things happening really quick, but, um, yeah, very happy. I feel, um, reinvigorated in the job again. It's nice. been a long time since I've been excited to go back to work and not dreading pulling out at five o'clock in the morning to leave to go to work and see a full moon knowing i'm gonna get my teeth kicked in now yeah, it's just yeah, yeah. you know it's just it's nice man it's it's a slower pace but there's still a lot going on um I think yeah what, man it's been, I think it's what's, been a, a great move i think what's cool about that too is you're in at the bottom meaning like man, you, you're gonna help build a yeah. foundation of a of a uh you know, an area that is growing and you're going to be able to put your stamp on that. That's pretty cool, man. I'm, I'm really, I never, you know, until we were sitting there day one and they're talking about building out the organization and fixing policies. And, you know, I, the city of Atlanta for, it's a very structured organization, right? Um, contrary to popular belief, it is a very structured organization <laughs> with a lot of policies and a lot of guidelines that I work i again contrary to popular belief i thrive in that environment like yeah, i, I like going okay this is what's going on let me go over to this box let me come down two boxes here's what we do well it's expectations so, right it's expectations don't we right, what they expect from you right yeah exactly exactly and so to be able to help facilitate that and be you know on the ground floor um with getting everything getting they keep referring to it as a build out which i think is a really good term but yeah there's a lot of stuff. There's no apparatus committee. There's no turnout gear committee. There's no uniform committee. There's no hiring board yet. So it's like, we got to build all this stuff out. And here's the thing too, is like come July 1st, if the, if the budget gets approved, which I have no doubt that it will be, um, we got to hire three more captains, nine lieutenants, and I think a dozen or so firemen. Wow. So it's, yeah. it's moving quick and I, and I'm enjoying it has been, I haven't been, this busy at work, not running calls, but just doing stuff. Yeah. And maybe ever, I mean, it was just every day, there's always something going on, you know, which I love. I, I enjoy it. We're not super, super busy. I think um, I saw the run totals the other day. 
uh, our engine was somewhere around 1300 and I've, uh, I think the truck was about 800 runs last year, Yeah, you know, and the rescue, we've got a, we've got a, a rescue and engine truck, air truck, boat. So we got a bunch of equipment that I find, uh, we can't get that stuff checked off till almost after lunch. Yes. <laughs> so my day, my day disappears, <laughs> but it's, uh, man, it's been great. The stat, the command staff has been fantastic. Um, you know, very, what, uh, you, they give you a lot of leeway, you know, to make decisions and, and just are like, handle it. You're hired to be a company officer, do it. And I'm like, wow, what a novel concept. What you know, a novel it's just, it's concept. Been it's, it's been great, man. I'm, I'm very, very happy. Well, you know what? I'm drawing some parallels here. And what I think is really cool is, you know, way back when, when you were sitting in the chief's office in Atlanta and you said, Hey, there's no policy on this. I get that. If you want me to write that for you, I'm willing to do that. And you never heard back from them. And now you're in a position where you've gone through a lot of personal struggles throughout your career, highs and lows, but you bring so much experience to a growing budding department like this, who's on their build out quote unquote. And now you can put your stamp on the build out because you've been through some of it. So maybe you couldn't write that policy, you know, down in Metro Atlanta, but you can certainly make an impact in the department you're in today. And yeah. I think that that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's, it's going to be nice. And one thing I think is going to be really cool is, is you don't have to go with you. Atlanta, um, you know, just turned over 141 years, I think. Yeah. Um, so it's, uh, or maybe they got 140 coming up, 141 coming up, but you don't have to, you know, and I'm, you've been around the job long enough to know, like fixing outdated policies, fixing because whether they're just flat out out of date or things we don't do anymore, like that, putting that battleship in reverse is really difficult. It's impossible. But to be, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would not argue that, <laughs> but to be able to get it right the first time, yes. and, you know, between the command staff there and the other 20 captains, the variety, the vastness of experience based on departments and years of service is so wide. Um, I think we're going to be able to really knock them out of the That's park. Awesome. Are we going to win them all? No. But I really do believe, like, I haven't had this much faith in a group of people in an organization a long time. And I'm sure people are going to, oh, he's drinking the Kool-Aid. That's eh, fine. Maybe. Maybe I'll be proved wrong. Maybe I'm right. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, Maybe I'm right. it's the most delicious really, Kool-Aid you've ever been served. <laughs> right? So far, it tastes, so far it tastes pretty good. Damn right. Uh, but, you know, it, to be able to um, get the policies right the first time, I think is going to be really neat. And, and to have um, – to have a hand in that's going to be great. I'm really looking forward to being a part of the hiring process moving forward uh, to really, you know, make sure that we get uh, the best that we can get, the best we can afford, given the price. You know, that's always sure. a factor. Sure. Um, but to just to be, it's just a different feel. It's a different vibe. And yep. it's, you know, nothing against it's It's a smaller, about a city of about 100,000 people, uh, you know, 10,000 runs a year over seven firehouses. It's not huge, but it's got a really tight knit community feel. Um, I was very lucky to get assigned to um, one of the main fire stations that's right in the little down, historic downtown area. Mm -hmm. I've never been in a station like that was a neighborhood firehouse before. Get so it. to have people come up, we've got a really cool museum in the front of the building and people come by and look, kids come by and look at the trucks when it's, you know, we're starting to get in some nice weather here finally. And uh, so, man, it's just been, it's been, it's been great. It's awesome. Super busy. Yeah. Um, but overall, man, it was, it was a, probably one of the, best decisions i've made in my career that's fantastic so thankful for that and again if, if everything had, hadn't happened in atlanta i would not have been able to put in for this because i would have been you well, know handcuffed right. by a city by a pension that's you right know? so everything everything happens for a reason man i do believe that for sure yeah let me ask you this because i want to start wrapping a little bit we've been going for about yeah. an hour um 
Legacy. Legacy is important to me. I, I think about everything that I do um, and on the daily grind for National Fire Radio mm-hmm. and the content we put out, the people I talk to. It's very important to me that when I walk away from this thing in another 50 years, that the legacy remains that we did everything we thought we should have and more. We promoted the job. We did the best we could. What does legacy mm-hmm. mean to you, and what do you want your legacy to be for your kids and great-grandkids to see? Um. I guess we can hit on the kids in a second, you know, on a professional level, I yeah. guess with work. Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember talking to my very first battalion chief I had, and I think he kind of put the thought in my head. Maybe he said it. I, I don't recall, but like, are you going to get four guys on an engine as an officer to all think your way and, and to just go, Hey man, we agree with hundred percent of what you're doing. No, right. but if you can plant a couple seeds with this guy, a couple seeds with this guy, maybe a handful more seeds with this other guy, and then they move out, they get promoted a couple of times. So your, your legacy kind of spreads that way. Is it my ideas and thoughts? No. Is it the way that I wash a panel on the ladder truck? No, but it, you know, you kind of, you, you just try and get in, plant some seeds with guys and hope that they promote and take that same drive, that same mission, the same thought process and teach it to their guys. So it's kind of an unsaid thing. I get it. Um, one thing that a very good friend of mine and I have talked about is, you know, with this job, you can have a stellar career, um, be a legend in your organization. You can do all these things. And the minute you walk out the door, you're gone. Yeah. And they'll put another rear end in your seat with the same rank and the, the, the machine will move on. It, it, you, you step off the ride after 30 years and, and, the, and the thing keeps rolling. Yeah. And um, that's hard for a lot of guys that I've seen over the years. Um, one of my captains, like he, I, I still see him pretty regular, my old captain. And He's like, man, every time I heard sirens, he's like, it teared me up for a little, a couple of years. Cause he left, he got, he got pensioned out on an injury. He's like, I wasn't ready to leave yet. He didn't have that transition period. Yep. And, um, so yeah, I think that, you know, you, you kind of just get a couple guys to think the same way that you think, and then they kind of, they take it and add on to it, put their spin on it and give it to their guys when they get promoted. I love that. Um, as far as my family's concerned, um, I just, you know, Again, I hate being cliche, but you just try, you know, do what you say, you know, don't, don't tell your kids one thing and then you go and do something different. Am I, am I always, you know, the most, do I follow that rule a hundred percent of the time? Probably not. But you know, on an overall thing, I like to think that I do. I try to, Yes. do I waver? Do I falter? hundred percent. I think do. everybody does. We all do. Um, you know, but it go, Yeah. Do what you do what you tell do <clears throat> do what you tell them to do. You know, be that example. Be the be the person that you want them to be. Let them see that. Um, are they going to see your shortcomings and your mistakes? Absolutely. And how you stand up and, and dust your knees off and move on from yes. that um, is a huge thing to me. I am. Not, I'll be first one to tell you. I am not good at that. I, I, you know, my ability. I can recover quickly, but I don't always. Um, I have sometimes can have a short temper, which is again, something I work on daily. Sure. Um, but you know, I try, my little girl's getting older every day and you know, <laughs> she, she keeps acquainting it. She goes, daddy, we're one day closer to summer than we were yesterday. Which That's is awesome. hundred percent true. Oh, I love that. But she also, she's one day, she's one day closer to being gone yeah. and one day older wow. than she was yesterday. And I don't want her to see, I, tr- I am trying to correct myself for her before it really you know, again, I'm going to make mistakes. She's going to see it, but how you pick up from those and that's how right. you move on and that's how, how they decide learn. to move on. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what I want to convey to, you know, I've got a couple of nieces and nephews and, um, 
you know, friends, kids. Yeah. And we've got a very tight knit circle of friends that uh, we hang out with a good bit. All the kids are under eight. Well, I guess they're all probably under about 12 now and just try and, you know, be a good role model for them, that. you know, and try and do the right thing. And again, it, you know, you're going to falter and, and how you, how you pick up from that is, it, it says a lot, I think on who you are and how you, how you manage that. Well, I can I couldn't ask you for for to deliver that any better because what you just said sums up this whole last hour and sums up who you are as an individual because you live that every day. Your story you just shared with us today and how you went through all your trials and tribulations through the Atlanta Fire Department and to where you are today reinvigorated with the job again. You know, it's how you pick yourself back up and put yourself back on the track. And, brother, I can't thank you enough for joining me today, man. What a powerful story. I absolutely appreciate you sharing, you know, everything that you've gone through and who you are and, and you know, would or Danny would go. Danny did go, and you'd go again. And, uh, brother, I appreciate you, man. Thank you so much for thank joining you, Jeremy. me today. I really appreciate it, buddy. It was a pleasure. I, I can't thank you enough. Yeah, it's well, a different spin on it. And, I, again, the – Everybody knows one end of it. And I, I've kind of distanced myself from these things. Sure. But um, I'm, when we talk, you know, you're you're wanting to know the other side of it and what's happened in the last four years is, was a uh, a different spin that I wanted to be a part of. So thank you so much for calling and, and putting this thing together. My man, you're a lot more than one night. One night doesn't define an individual and everything yeah, that, and, that and the fallout from all of that into where you are today and who you are today. Um, that's the guy that I want to shake a hand and have a pop with. So, brother, I appreciate you. Let's do it. Yeah, we will, for sure. I can't wait. And uh, thank you for spending an hour with me today, man. It's uh, it's just a blast. And I appreciate – I think a lot of people are going to get a lot of value out of this conversation today. And I think it um, it certainly will help some people. And we went down a, a couple different holes, and I just uh, – I thought it was a great conversation. So I appreciate you. You're a new friend and brother, and I appreciate you. And uh, I look forward to shaking your hand, pal. Appreciate it. Hey, man, me too. And keep doing what you're doing. You got, uh, you're got you putting out some really good content, uh, and your your name and your brand is growing, and uh, you're doing some good stuff. So uh, don't uh, keep keep it moving, man. It's easy to do with great guys like you, so I appreciate it. Stay, ri- <laughs> stay right here. I'm just going to sign off, but don't hang up, all right? Stay right where you are. You got it. Cool. Everyone, thank you for tuning in to the National Fire Radio podcast. Danny Dwyer, Danny would go. Danny did go. He will go again and again and again. It's who he is. Thanks for tuning in. Take this conversation, take it back to the firehouse, take it back to the kitchen table and talk about it because when we talk about the job, we're making the job better. Email us at podcast at nationalfireradio.com for any of your ideas, thoughts, or inquiries about the podcast. And thanks for tuning in. We appreciate your support. We appreciate the National Fire Radio community. And we'll see you at the next one. Jeremy, National Fire Radio.